good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning in church. Uh, it's always good to come together. Uh, this morning, they were during the first service, it was real foggy outside, and I just told everybody, I said, I woke up in a fog, <laughs> you know, found out everybody woke up in the fog this morning. Uh, but anyway, but it was uh, finally it's cleared off, and it was very nice outside, so I'm glad to see all of you in church today. Today's going to be just a little bit different. Um, Thad wasn't going to be able to be here today all of a sudden, so uh, he, uh, he was talking to David, and David said, hey, you know, God's giving me a beat down right now, so I want to share with everybody what God's doing in my life, but he was, he's going to share some things he shared with the elders um, a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, you know, so he's, he got warmed up on our, in our matinee, our first service, uh, <laughs> and we got the main event right here, so he's ready to go now, right, Dave? But anyway, it's good. To, uh, uh, we appreciate David uh, being willing to step in uh, in place of, uh, of Thad. Well, you know, Christmas is just a couple of weeks ago. Well, less than a couple of weeks away. And, uh, and you know, just being around people, I'm, uh, people all, everybody's just saying, you know, Christmas is just a little different this year. It's just not the same. Uh, it's, you know, just a lot of things have changed. I got to thinking about that the other day. I said, but you know, was there one thing that hadn't changed? God hadn't changed. God's will hadn't changed. His plan has not changed at all. And so we're so, so thankful for that. And I got to thinking about where it was prophesied that, uh, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. That didn't change. God's, God's plan for that didn't change. If it wasn't for that virgin birth, then the Jesus who died on the cross was just another man dying for a cause. But no, because of that, we can, you know, it's, that, that film right there just said the, the glory of the Son of God. We know for a fact that he is the Son of God, and that's what we've come to do. We want to worship, worship him enough because the virgin birth, we can stop right there. That's enough. That's enough for us to be in awe of who our God and who our Savior is. It's enough to make us bow down and want to worship Him, come together and worship Him during this time. So, um, but anyway, we're just glad you're here. And uh, so we're going to get started in our worship time. I want you to be thinking about that because there's so many distractions during this season, so many things that we get our minds on, so many things that really aren't that important. But I do want us to concentrate on who God really is and what he really did through all the, through the miracles of the virgin birth, through the, uh, through the, the dreams, the angels, every, all the things that happened during that time. It was all in the plan for my sake and for your sake. So let's just be thinking about that. And in a few minutes, we're, we're going to get started here. We're going to sing through a lot of the Christmas songs that we like so much and everything. And we were doing that, but just think, every one of those songs represent the wonderfulness and the awesomeness of our God. So when we do that, so let's, let's get started in our worship time right now. Uh, Linda's going to play uh, a prelude and uh, just to kind of get our minds set, and then we're going to worship together. Linda.
invite you to sing along with us. to certain poor shepherds in fear. 
invite you all to come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn king. Let's all stand and let's uh, open up with one that we all love to sing, Joy to the World.
Father, we come to you this morning thanking, thanking you so much that you are the Son of God. Lord, you are love's pure light. God, and because of your sovereignty and because of who you are, Lord, we can, we can sleep in heavenly peace. God, you are the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And Lord, if there's ever a time we need peace right now, Lord, it's, not, it's that time now. And God, I just ask you that you would grant peace in every one of our hearts today. God, as we come to worship you and we give honor to your name, we glorify you, Lord. We praise you for who you are. Father, I pray today that all the distractions of this world all the happenings of the things that are going on, all the distraction of the celebration, God, would be far from our memories at this point. God, we would focus on you. We would look to you. Father, we would bow down to you and worship you. Lord, we would love you and praise you during this time. God, be with us as the time as David comes and brings what you have placed on his heart. And Father, use your spirit to speak to our hearts as we go through the rest of this time. These things we pray in your son's Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
Well, good morning. Good to see everyone here this morning. Trust y'all are having a good, good weekend. Um, <clears throat> appreciate uh, Jessica's song, Linda and Ron and the worship team. Love singing the uh, Christmas um, carols. And I think we hit on about 10 or 12 of those. So everybody got a little bit of just one line of what everyone liked probably. So one or the other. Uh, I like Angels We Have Heard on High. It's one of my favorites. I like singing that one. But uh, I really appreciate the opportunity that Thad has given me to, uh, to come and share some things that the Lord is teaching me. And I, I really trust that you can relate to some of it. Uh, I think it's pretty relatable. Um, so I think that it's, it's kind of where a lot of us are at in life right now. And uh, I'm just learning myself. So, you know, I've learned along with you in this and the Lord's teaching me. And I haven't had an opportunity to share from this podium since we've been in the new building. Uh, and so it's kind of a new adventure. And, and preaching twice is like... <laughs> It's really emotional to preach, you know, so it, it, the second one, I'm not sure how, if I'll have the same level of energy that I had in the first one, but I hope so. Uh, I'm, I don't have a shortage of energy usually, <laughs> so I think I'll be fine. But um, anyway, just thankful for the opportunity. Um, I think the lesson really today, as I was listening to the music, uh, as we were singing, I was thinking, you know, this lesson today really for me may make this be the best Christmas I've ever had. <laughs> Because it's dealing with a subject that I think directly impacts our view of Christmas, you know, the gift of salvation. And um, one thing I'd like to just say right up front is that <clears throat> I think that um, there's a peak right now going on, and we all need to realize that. We've got several members that are affected by the virus, and uh, we want to pray for them and lift them up and send them a note, encourage them when you hear about it. And uh, it's not it's not uncommon, and, and it's just kind of that time of life that we're going through this. I think it's probably more right now than there were back in the spring and I think eventually every one of us in some way is going to be touched by this virus either ourselves or our family member or our friends someone uh, along the way so it's been a difficult year and I hope that what we say today will help th put things back in perspective for us and help us to understand that God is sovereign he is in control like Ron said you know but I, I keep thinking I keep thinking it's a bad dream, <laughs> and I'm going to wake up one morning, and I'm going to roll over to Melinda, and I'm going to say, wow, that was a zinger. <laughs> Let me try to explain this to you, because <laughs> we're always waking up sharing our dreams with one another, and I, I don't know, it's, it's really been that kind of year for me. It's like, I've got to be in a bad dream, but like Ron said, and we all know, God is on his throne. He's unchangeable. He's not surprised by any of this, and we just have to go back to that fact that he is sovereign. The anchor of our life as Christians is God is sovereign. If we lose that anchor, we're in big trouble. 
So we've got to hang, hang on to that anchor. He's in control. He's got the whole world in the palm of his hand, and he's working his work, his way, in the world around us. He, 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 he uses the pandemic. He uses elections. He's using everything in our life to work his work through his timetable in this world. And God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. We need to remember that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. <clears throat> Just a great privilege and opportunity to come and share a few thoughts about what you're doing in my life and i thank you lord that we can join together how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to be together in the house of the lord and to come together and to worship and to sing about the birth of the savior and uh lord just thank you that we have this opportunity we remember just a short time back when we weren't meeting and so thank you that we can be together thank you that we can uh, come to the house of the lord and thank you for the fact that we have live streaming and others can join us too uh, lord we can come together as your body inside the walls and outside the walls to worship you this morning and we just want to do that we want to commit the morning to you pray that the words that are said and were the meditations of my heart and of our service here would be a pleasing to you we commit it to you in jesus name amen <clears throat> so you know um, it's the little things in life that prove to me that there is a God. I tell Melinda that all the time. The, the universe, the creation, the heavens, the stars, the majestic mountains, the things we see, uh, God's creativity, all of that, yeah, that proves that there's a God. And we can point to that. Romans tells us to. <laughs> we can't miss it, really. But the little things, the day-by-day, in-and-out little things in my life, and we as believers, the little things in all of our lives, I think proves to us and re- affirms to us that God is in relationship with us and that he is alive and active in our lives and around our lives. I was reminded of the old hymn, uh, He Lives, in this regard because it speaks of relationship with Christ. And it says, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. How? He walks with me, talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me now how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And so relationship with Christ is, is seen many times. I just wanted to lay that as kind of a foundation for what I'm going to say today, that it's the little things in life. We need to take note of those little things and the way that God's working through circumstances, speaking to us through other people, dealing with us in our daily life through events that happen and uh, things that he impresses us with his spirit. So the little things in life mean a lot. Let's not miss those. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> the day after the election, uh, I think it was November 4th, the day after the election, I had to go down to Vero Beach, Florida to do some flight training. And I was by myself, had a few days down there flight training, and so I was in a motel, and I was really getting more and more and more anxious and more frustrated, more discouraged, more upset with things going on, watching the news, and just really, 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 I was anything but content no contentment in my life whatsoever and I was just mad and my brother-in-law Harold who I love so dearly he was he was struggling with pneumonia and turned out to be COVID and he was at death's door and it seemed like the things that I prayed you know you may have been here sometime it's like I'm praying I'm praying I'm praying and everything I pray God does the opposite and it's like I need to maybe I need to trick God I'll just pray the opposite and he'll give me what I really need, you know. <laughs> That's not going to work. But it's like that. It's like you're struggling in your prayer life. And it's like, God, you're just not listening. I'm, I'm calling out to you. And, and, and I confess to you <clears throat> that Satan had me in a really bad place and was causing me a lot of discouragement and a lot of agitation in my life. And um, so what did I do? Well, 
One night I went to a Sonny's barbecue. <laughs> Sonny's is good. They have them in Florida. They need them here. They're really good. So I had a good meal. On the way there, I had the uh, rental car, and when I cranked it, it was on NPR. And so it was on some trumpet serenade. And I turned it down a little and listened to it softly as I drove. And he wasn't as good as you, Bob, but he was pretty good. And uh, so I listened to the trumpet serenade. But I went in at 8. When I came back out, I knew I didn't want to hear any more of that. So when I cranked the car, I flipped it one channel to the right. <clears throat> and when I flipped it over, I heard this. Let me ask you a question. How do we find contentment when things don't go our way? Or things turn out like we hadn't hoped for? And what about when things like prayers that we, we, we ask that go unanswered or, or we think we don't like the answer we get? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, God, okay. So I recognized the voice. It was Dr. Charles Stanley in his In Touch radio series. And he was preaching from Philippians 4.11. And we're going to go there in a minute and look at this, 4.11 through 13. Um, and his message was, how do we learn contentment? And so immediately Satan said, you don't want to listen to that. You need to find a talk show or something else, you know, let's turn it over. Because, you, you know, that's going to mess with you sulking and with you pouting over all that's going on around you. <laughs> so you don't want to listen to that. But the little things, you know, so I took note and I said, no, David needs to hear this. I need to listen to this. So I listened, I tuned in, I listened on my way back to the motel. And Dr. Stanley began to unfold his message. He starts unfolding it. He's saying, listen, if you want contentment in your life, Regardless of what's going on externally around you, if you want to have peace and contentment, recognize that God has allowed it. He's allowed it for his purposes. Whatever it is, he's allowing it because he's sovereign. He's allowing it. Two, realize that these circumstances are out of our control. <laughs> we can't do a thing about it anyway. <laughs> Most of what we worry about never comes to pass. They say 80%, matter of fact. And so you, just, you can't do anything about it. Realize these circumstances are not in our control. And three, surrender to his will because he is sovereign. After all, he is God. Well, let's look at this passage he's preaching from here in Philippians 4. 11 through uh, 13. <clears throat> not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am, I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So that's the text he's preaching from. And the, the verse we love to land on in chapter 4 is 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is a little bit conditional, I think. And we could dig into that and see. It's really if we have the right attitude. If it's wrapped in his will be done. If it's, if it's, we can do the things that God wills for us to do. <laughs> we can do all things he wills us to do, okay? So we need to remember that. But notice Paul says here something that I have learned to be content. And Dr. Charles Stanley spent some time on that. He zeroed in on that. And he said, how did Paul learn contentment? How did we learn contentment? It's very simple. He said, little by little by little by little. It's just a little bit. <laughs> time i'm reminded of a story i didn't share this in the first service but i have a little time because i ended a little now that clock's going crazy again guys so i have no idea how far i'm going to go here because i tried to watch it before but we were sitting around a campfire riding horses melinda and i and uh there were several people around the fire late at night and we were talking stories and a guy named bill he looked like jimmy stewart had his cowboy hat on he's laid back with a straw in his mouth 
and he didn't talk all night. And then finally Bill speaks up and he says, you know what makes a really good horse? We said, no, Bill, what? He said, about 250 hours time, time in the saddle. We said, oh, yeah, good, Bill. And then we kept talking and, you know, went on another 30 minutes or so. Bill didn't say anything. And then a later Bill says, you know what makes a really good horse? We said, no, Bill, what makes a really good horse? About 500 hours, just time, <laughs> time. And so what Paul had to do was learn contentment over time, over life experience, over things that happened in his life. And then, Dr. I'm going to come back to that a little later about the, the time element and learning to be content. But the fourth thing that he said, okay, recognize that God allowed it. Realize these circumstances are out of our control. Three, surrender to his will because he is sovereign. He alone has it. And fourth, he said, draw of him. Draw of him. Draw of Christ by faith. You see, everything that we need is already living in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's inside of us. We can't make anything happen outside. It's out of our control. But we can control what is in us, our attitude and our thoughts about things. So it's our attitude and our thoughts. We can control the, our thinking and our attitudes by guarding what we feed into our minds. That's a key there now. Because Paul, we're going to go back here in just a minute and look. He guarded what he fed into his mind every moment of the day. So we, you know, listen to certain things, watch certain things, do certain things that feed our mind. We can feed our mind to good and positive thoughts, or we can feed our mind to the negativity. And I can tell you right now, the night I'm sitting there listening to this, I had been feeding my mind nothing but negative thoughts. <laughs> really bad thoughts. <laughs> what is God doing? <laughs> Does he know what he's doing? I mean, come on, God. Thousands and millions of people are praying to you. You know, so it's, it was very frustrating and, and wrong, <laughs> but I was very frustrated with it. And so, so Paul says, guard what you put into your mind. Now look back up with me in these verses. What did Paul guard in his mind? Look at chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. Before we get to this great verse about I can do all things and I'm content all the time, how did he get there? In verse 4 he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That speaks to his attitude, what he's thinking in his attitude, okay? He says, let your moderation be known unto all men. <laughs> the Lord is at hand. He's living for Christ. He's in Christ here, okay? He's, he's, everything he's doing is, 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 is saturated with Christ. He says, let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, look, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever th things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there, and if that doesn't cover it, he says, if there be any virtue or any praise of any kind, think on these things. So Paul was guarding his mind and what he allowed to come into his mind, see? And he said, and if you do that, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you, you'll have contentment. Then you can say that next verse that I've, been, I've learned to be content, okay? And so he's saying, guard what you allow into your mind. And I realized listening to that and thinking about it, it's, this, is, this is how Paul conditioned his mind, how he learned contentment. 
and how we ourselves are going to learn it. And, you know, that whole section there is just saturated with living in and through and by and for Christ. As Ron said a few weeks ago, to live Christ. (laughs) It's not, you know, it's not something we can produce of ourselves. But just live Christ, surrendered to Christ, walking with him, living for him. And when Dr. Stanley said that, I wrote those things down and I said, i got to remember that. Recognize that God's allowed it. Realize these things are out of my control. Surrender my will to his desire. Just, just let it go. Draw close to him. I just live, surrender to the Holy Spirit. Like 518, Ephesians 518, be controlled by the Spirit. I can't do it, but the Spirit can. And the Spirit will give me grace. He will give me grace, the desire and the power to do it. <laughs> So it's a possibility there that I can't reach contentment here. And so, so as I'm drawing to the Holy Spirit, he gives me the grace, and then I'm trusting God regardless of what's happening outside. And when I thought through that, I just literally in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, that's not easy. That's, that's not an easy task. It's not easy because it requires something of us. It requires me to, to, to give up control of my life, to give up my desires and to give up my expectations, to, to surrender to him and his will. And that's not easy. We've, we've got to, I was thinking, I've got to seek to replace all my discontentment and disappointments with gratitude and thankfulness that he is in control. That's a major shift in thinking. You know, from where I was at, it's a major shift. And it's not something that I can produce on my own. And what Paul said here is, And what Dr. Stanley brought out is he said, I've learned that. He wasn't born with a surrendered heart. (laughs) He wasn't born with it. He he had to learn to be disciplined. Through the disciplines of his spiritual life, he learned to to frame his mind and his thinking all about Jesus, all about Christ. You know, and spiritual disciplines are things that help us. We think as Christians, oh, that's a bad word. That's a nasty word, this idea of discipline. But uh, you can't be strong and fit and healthy without disciplines in your life. All of us need disciplines. And it's a conditioning of our minds to live Christ. And so then the last thing Dr. Stanley said that pierced my heart was, what is the opposite of surrender? The opposite of surrender is rebellion. (laughs) And when he said that, I was like, oh, Lord, I don't want to be in rebellion. And maybe you're there this morning. I don't know. I'm just telling you what I'm learning. I said, Lord, I don't want to be in rebellion. Lord, it's not natural for me to admit that I'm not in control. I'm a control guy. <laughs> I just push forward. I'm, you know, but, but Lord, I confess to you, I need you and I'm nothing. It's, all, it's not about David. <laughs> it's about you. And I just give that back to you. I just cast it before you, Lord. Casting all my care, I give it back to you. You're everything. I confess to you, Lord, that I'm nothing. I'm nothing, and I realize that I know, I know that you're in control. So help me, Lord, to have a better attitude to give you, Lord, my discontentment, to give you my disappointment, and to give you my depression, to give you the things I'm struggling with. Maybe it's not that for you. Maybe it's fear or anxiety over other issues. Maybe it's struggling to pay bills. I don't know. Health issues. Whatever the things are that's robbing you of contentment, we've got to be willing to just let that go and give it to God. And uh, say to the Lord, my hope is found in Christ alone. I, I can't handle it on my own. So, 
I have to be willing to give him all of my expectations, all of my aspirations. And I did that there. Then, a few days later, it's like um, November 7th, and I'm home. We're coming to church to have our church conference, and I sat down by my fireplace, and I decided I will have some quiet time for because I'm still struggling with my spirit. I mean, my spirit's still not <laughs> content. I confessed it, and I'm working on it. The Lord's working on me, you know. But, but it was a struggle. So I sat down, and the Lord just spoke to my heart to open to Jonah. And uh, so I did. I just opened to Jonah, looked at it. And you know that as I read Jonah in the fourth chapter, twice in chapter four, Jonah is so mad at God. He just says, God, I wish you'd just kill me. I wish I'd just die. Twice he said that in chapter 4. In about the face of about 10 verses there in chapter 4, he said, I just wish I was dead, God. You're talking about frustration and anger with God and what he's doing. Man, Jonah had it. And, but God patiently comes back to Jonah. He says to Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry with me? It's like, hey, I'm God. What have you built? What have you created? What have you done? What have you called into existence? Anything? He goes, it's me, God. It's me, Jonah, you're, that you're talking to, says God. And it did show me, though, a different view of Jonah. I'd always kind of breezed through Jonah and thought he was kind of a loser in a lot of ways. You know how we think of Jonah. But when I saw this, I'm like, no, this really demonstrates a relationship with God. He had a deep relationship. I mean, in chapter 4, you can see he's struggling with God. He's honest with God. God, I'm mad at you. And God says, but don't blame mad at me. <laughs> you know? I'm giving you every breath you breathe. But so... I read Jonah chapter 4, and I closed my eyes to pray, and the Lord says, David, are, I mean, just almost audibly, he said, David, are you not willing to trust me? Am I not really in control of everything in life? <laughs> uh, and he said, you better just let it go before you come, become bitter. You're going to become bitter. You better let it go. And then he said to me, am I coming back one day? And I said, Lord, yeah. He said, you believe I'm coming back. I said, Lord, yes, you're coming back. You're coming back. I know you're coming back. He said, then let it go. I'm in control. Just trust me. Just let it go. Just let, don't, don't continue down that path of feeding those thoughts. Don't continue down that path of feeding discontentment in your life. Okay? Just let it go and trust me. And he reminded me of 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7. <laughs> 1 Timothy, where it says godliness with contentment is what? A little bit of gain? A little bit of benefit? No, great gain. It's a precious gift. <laughs> it's a precious gift. And he tells us that we can have that contentment, and it is great gain because we brought nothing into this world. We're certainly not going to take anything out of it. It's just going to be me and God. It's not going to be me and Melinda and God. It's not going to be me and the President of the United States and God. <laughs> it's not going to be me and Alabama football God. It's not going to be me and anything in, world, in, in life that might have caused me anxiety. It's just going to be me and God. I took nothing, I brought nothing into this world, I'm not taking anything with me when I leave. And that's what it says for all of us. So it's a great gift. Contentment with godliness. Godliness with contentment, great gift. So the Lord spoke to me more and he said, don't put your, your, the way that you think what's best for the country and your desires above mine. You're too selfish. Uh, selfish only to pray for good things. <laughs> selfish to, to desire only blessings in life. Selfish to want to your, your way instead of surrendering to my way, to God's way. And he just keeps, keeps speaking to me, just like Jonah. You're angry, you're frustrated, because you're not living by faith. David, you're like a, you're like a child. You can't see the big picture. 
You can only see what affects you. You can only see that. So you're being selfish. You're elevating pride and your own wants in life for your commitment to Christ and your contentment in Christ. Don't do that. Don't do that anymore. So I pray, Lord, I want to trust you. Help me trust you. <laughs> so I listen to Dr. Stanley. I'm studying the scripture there in Jonah, thinking through Philippians. And then so we come to church, and it's a church conference. And so, remember, it's the little things in life. So I come to the church conference, and Thad gets up, and he's the title, the, the theme for the conference that morning was Celebrating Christ. Y'all might remember it. I don't know. It's been a few weeks ago. And Thad said this, it all comes down to the choices we make and the mindset we have. Isn't that what I've been telling y'all? I mean, that's, that's what God is working on me. The choices we make, the mindset we have. Thad said, from today forward, I challenge you to celebrate Christ. Intentionally, consciously celebrate Christ. Regardless of what's happening around the world, let it go. Just celebrate Christ. <laughs> that's exactly what the Lord was telling me for the last four or five days. And, and, and realizing that in those types of, these types of struggles that we go through in life, like I said, it could be a litany of things, but whatever that is in your life, those things, God is using those to conform us, to build our faith, and to cause us to trust him through it, okay? And it's all a part of that ideal of learning to be content in him, just as Paul did. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live, how? By the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not David. <laughs> David's dead. He's gone. And anytime he wakes back up, it's a problem. <laughs> anytime he comes alive, it's a problem. Okay, and I, I just, being honest with you. And so Paul wrote those things. Remember, he wrote those things to the Philipp Philippian uh, the Philippine uh, letter here from the, the Philippian jail. <laughs> or he didn't write from the jail, but when he was hanging in the jail, if I meant to say, um, with, with uh, Silas, he had, he had to learn those lessons. He was hanging there in the dark, in the black, in the cold, in shackles, singing praises to God. But he didn't start that way years ago. It took time. And it took a process of him being worked through. And so with us, too, it takes time, Okay. It's not something that's going to happen overnight, but it's something we need to be intentional about, working towards, thinking about in our lives. And he actually says in 4.12, if you look at the NIV and the Amplified, it actually reads, I have learned the secret of being content. The secret of being content. The word secret there is the same word Paul uses in other places, which is the mystery, something hidden. Now, it shouldn't be hidden to us as believers, but it's hidden to the world. That's why the world looks at us, and when we are content, and when we're not all agitated by things, and we're just calm in it, they look at us like, why, why is he that way? I want some of that. That's, a, that's, that's calm. <laughs> How do you have that calm when all this is tragedy around your life? That's the secret Paul's talking about. We, know, we should know that secret as believers, and it should be an attraction to the world as we, as we live that secret. So that secret he speaks of is learning to just trust him and let it go and to surrender it. Surrender it, surrender it, let it go. The word contentment that he uses here is an unusual Greek word. But it's common, it was common to, in, in the Bible it's unusual, but it's common in, in the marketplace. And it's a word, architeria. And auto, or A-U-T-A, is the self, okay, self. And the last word of that, A-K-E-I-A, is to be sufficient. So it gives us self-sufficiency. 
So the word Paul uses for contentment is self-sufficiency. That's a little odd, isn't it? Why would he use that word? Self-sufficient, like a self-made man. But Paul does like he does in a lot of places. He twists that word to use it for a spiritual reason. And he says, he speaks of self-sufficiency and, competent, and, and being competent. But Paul says that his sufficiency was not found in himself. Not in his old man. His sufficiency was found in Christ's sufficiency, living in him. Living in him. Okay? So when he says that he's content, he's content in Christ living in him. The secret of Paul's sufficiency was Christ's sufficiency living in him and through him. <laughs> and he had learned to be, uh, be, be uh, independent of external circumstances. To learn that, he had to place all of his dependency on the Holy Spirit. And when he did that, see, that's when he wrote, he could write Galatians 2.20 and Romans 6, and Romans 12, 1 and 2. And the scriptures that say, I'm dead, I have no life. Because it's not Paul living in him. It's Jesus living through Paul. Because Jesus is his sufficiency not himself and so it's a unique use of the word the old man will never never find true contentment in the world and i wrote just last night when i got home i just had to i just want to remind us of this but satan is a mimic do you know that he's a copycat <laughs> he copies a lot of good stuff in life and he always offers us good things in lieu of the best things in life he would gladly have us spend our life doing good things in lieu of the best things in life. He, he, he's like, it's like this, happiness instead of joy. He's all about happiness. He's all about partying and having a good time. So Satan would come along and offer you happiness instead of joy or, or personal fulfillment instead of true eternal purpose in life. Self-worth instead of surrendering, like Paul said, not him, Christ. Self-worth instead of surrendering. And self-sufficiency and independence rather than contentment uh, the hurried life instead of the holy life we run I'm, I'm, I'm guilty i mean running through life just doing things instead of really focusing on the holy life so these things are distractions that satan allows and many times it's good things but they're really cheap substitutes and so paul says here the, the secret that he learned in true contentment is that it can never come from outside it can never be an eternal thing, I mean an external thing that happens to us. It's always going to leave us empty if it's external. Um, when things don't go well, we're going to be empty. Um, and so all the money in the world can't buy it. All the prestige and power and position of influence won't give it to you. All the horses, and the, I mean the houses and the horses, Melinda, all the horses and the, the cars and the toys and all the frills and thrills, all the things in life, anything the world can offer us won't give us true contentment, guys. <laughs> and I'm just reminding us of this, but all the pleasures that you could stack end on end on end on end won't bring contentment into your life. All the, the romances and friendships and relationships you can develop, it won't, it won't help you. It won't give us contentment. None of that's going to help. Have you read, have you read Ecclesiastes? <laughs> I mean, the wisest man in the world. Spent his life, much of his life, chasing after contentment through external means. And, and it left him almost mad. He went almost insane doing it. And he ended up that it was all empty and vain and worthless, a waste. So none of that. Satan is a mimic, but don't fall for it. Don't fall for that stuff. So Paul tells us here the secret of contentment can only be found from inside of us, inside the believers. Okay? 
The old man can never produce an ounce of it. And Paul says that he learned this secret through the circumstances of life, given time, and given opportunity to give it up and trust God. You give it up, trust Christ. And to develop through that, in through the difficulty, through those uncertain times, he developed a heart of gratitude and a heart of thankfulness. Gratitude and thankfulness. Those are foundations for what we're talking about in contentment. Contentment is supported by gratitude, thankfulness. If we're not going to be graced, have great, a grateful heart, if we're not going to be thankful, we're not going to be content. Stay stirred. So, so Dr. Stanley, he, uh, he was good. You know, Joan was good. Thad hit me hard when I came to church. And I was like, okay, I'm getting it, Lord. I'm getting the message, you know. But um, I'm trying to learn this. I'm trying to learn this concept, this ideal anew in my life about just surrendering it to him. And um, now that I'm preaching it, Melinda's going to really remind me of it when I get agitated. She'll be telling me, trust the Lord. But I just want to reemphasize one more time to us that Paul did not wake up one day and he was content. It takes us time and, and it takes experience in life and it takes God giving us those opportunities to trust him regardless. And we may not like it. It may be hard. It's not an easy lesson. It hasn't been easy for me the last few weeks. And so just always consciously thinking about it, watching what I fill my mind. I used to fill my mind with, with uh, the news and talk shows and things like that. And right now it hasn't been too bad because we got Alabama sports. You know, I can listen to that. And after the first service, somebody told me, well, I'm an Auburn fan. There's nothing to listen to on the radio right now. So <laughs> they're not too keyed into the, to the Auburn football this year, I don't think. But, for you know, guarding what I listen to is a, is a big thing for me. So uh, I don't know about you, but I just think that I need to p- be careful about that. But Paul didn't wake up content one day. It took many years of humility and frustration and discouragement. You may not have thought of Paul like that. You know, I don't know that I did. You know, Paul's this victorious guy. He's got all of his ducks in a row, and he knows what he's doing. He's a great leader. And No, Paul struggled. I promise you he struggled. He struggled with doubts and fears just like we did. He's just a man. And he struggled with pride. He struggled with pride. You know, that's what, that's what the chapter before this, Paul tells him in chapter 3, you know, if anybody should be proud, it should be me. And he lists some of his accomplishments there. I mean, Paul had the, had the workings to be a very proud Jew. But so through humility and frustration and years of disappointment and years of just releasing back to God those things, you know, he gave it back to him. There was not a, a course that he could take over at the junior college in Jerusalem of, uh, you know, uh, uh, contentment 101 <laughs> it wasn't there so he had to learn like we have to learn and a key of that as I mentioned a minute ago was humility through humility he had to learn and he had to surrender back to God over and over those things a surrendered and a humble heart is fertile soil for contentment to be cultivated that's where I put a line in my notes surrendered and a humble heart it's fertile soil for contentment to be cultivated and that's what Paul really tells us if you look at the words he uses in this section. In chapter 4, 12, he uses a word here. It says, I know both how to be abased. That word abased is a Greek word, which is humble. He said, I know how to be humble. You know, I've learned the lesson of humility is what he's saying. That same word is used in chapter 2, uh, in verse 8, where it says, And being found in the fashion as a man, Christ, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That word, same word, humble. And then in three, um, 321, just before our section in chapter 4, 
who shall change our vile body, our vile body. That word vile is humble. It's the same Greek word that he uses here in, in uh, verse 12 of chapter 4. So change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. So this ideal of humility, I think, is in Paul's mind. I think he would have us know that, that to be content, he had to learn to be humble. He had to learn to go through. He had to learn what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, 6, and 7, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. In due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And then James came along later and said, yeah, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Because he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So those two together tell us that it's a good thing for Christians that we would consider being humble. But we can't do it on our own. When Peter says, humble yourselves, I think it's an impossibility. <laughs> because in the Greek, that really says, let God humble you. And how does God do that? Through the difficulties, through the hardships, through the heartbreaks, through the through the things in life that we don't like. He humbles us, and then he gives us grace. And that's just the process that, of biblical growth, of spiritual growth. Humility is the gateway to surrender. And Paul learned that. That's part of that secret. Humility is the gateway to surrender. And surrender is the conduit to contentment. Did you get that? I want to repeat it because I thought it was a, really just says what I'm trying to say in a nutshell. Humility is the gateway to surrender. And surrender is the conduit to contentment. If we want contentment, we have to surrender. If we're going to surrender, we've got to be humble. We've got to be humble. So by learning this, to let it go, and, and just trusting God with things you know, that I can't control, <laughs> um, it's a painful lesson. It takes time, and uh, it takes humility. And it, it's, a, it's a process that goes over and over and over in our lives as Christians. And so one final thought is... Uh, I listened to Dr. Stanley. I went home and I, was, um, I uh, read Jonah. Uh, came to church and Thad spoke about celebrating. <laughs> and so I was pretty beat up, but I'm stubborn. Are you stubborn? I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. So I really couldn't swear that I had a lot of contentment yet. I was, I was really trying and confessing and trying. And then Van Cook got up in that conference and Van said, Van said, he's coming back. Do you believe that? He, do you believe he's coming back? Jesus is coming back. What a greater encouragement can there be? And I just about fell out of my seat. I was like, Lord, it's the little things in life that prove your... I mean, this is what you told me just a few hours ago sitting by my fireplace. Do you believe I'm coming back? <laughs> so he, he just, again, refocused my whole thought pattern, my, and my thinking. And so regardless, Van said, believe it and live it regardless of what's going on in life. Well, that's the secret Paul's talking about. That's the secret. Paul in us. Christ, Paul said, Christ in us, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And so then to top it off, that morning, Thad got up and he read from Philippians 4. What we read a minute ago. Thad said, remember the theme of the conference was celebrate. Celebrate Christ. So Thad gets up and he says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to rejoice in you. <laughs> I'm going to rejoice in you. And that, in the Greek, it's be rejoicing continually. <laughs> Don't ever stop rejoicing. Always rejoice. And to celebrate Christ in all things and in every situation, regardless of what's happening outside. Now, like I said, it, this is not an easy lesson. And you may be on a journey somewhere other than where I'm at. Maybe you have already found 
the secret of true contentment. I hope so in your life, and that'd be a good thing. Uh, but for me, it's been a tough year, and uh, you know we've had a lot of a lot of ups and downs and all arounds, and it's it's been a tough year for us. And uh, I know that you know for people, uh, it's a fearful time, and it shouldn't be for believers, but it is. It's a time of frustration and a time of of uh, like Jonah being angry with God at times. If we're honest, I think. And so this is, a, I think, a, a good reminder for us to um, just let it go, remember that he's a good God, remember that he is a sovereign God, and he has the whole world right there in the palm of his hand. There's nothing that happens externally in your life that he doesn't control it, not a thing. And so, you know, I'm going to commit that in 2021 that I would have a heart more of gratitude, of thankfulness. I want to be a student of that this year, I think, and just trust the Lord for that. And I just say, how about you? You know, have you struggled with it, with contentment in your life? And uh, if so, maybe we can commit together to learning the secret of contentment. Uh, in today's crazy world, I think that, that living a contented life would be such an attraction to our family and to our friends uh, and to the world, you know, a doorway for the gospel. Have you ever had someone come to you and, and, and really just look at you and say, what is it about your life that makes you different? I've had that happen before. I was an iron worker. I was hanging steel. I mean, I was around the worst of the worst of the lowest <laughs> social level you can be in, hanging steel and the cussing and the, and the carrying on and the work and the construction. And I'd have come guys at work, you know, and why don't you cuss? How are you different? Why you, you know, you walk away when I'm telling my jokes. You know, I mean, they, they notice things like that. And so contentment is, is a tool that God can use for us, <laughs> benefit us greatly. It's a great game, but also to reach the world. So remember, recognize that God has allowed it. The moment you think he's stealing it, that Satan's stealing your contentment, recognize God's allowed it. Realize that these things are out of our control. He's in control. Surrender my will to his will. Just, just let it go. And then draw near to him by allowing him to humble us and fill us with his spirit to give us his grace and then it really it all comes back to that ideal of surrender one of my favorite um i guess my one of my um, heroes in the faith is eric little do y'all know who eric little is some of the older people probably do but eric little was a scotsman christian that lived in the early 1900s and god blessed him with speed man he was fast you can read about his life in a book called The Flying Scotsman. And there's a movie called Chariots of Fire. You might have heard of that. Go home and get it on Netflix. came out in the early 80s, late 70s. And it's about his life. But the movie, and the movie displays well about Eric's life as a Scotsman, Christian, athlete. And, and it shows that he will not run on Sunday in the Olympics. He was one of the fastest in the world in the 100 meters, but they had his heat on Sunday. And so he wouldn't run. And in the movie, I'll never forget him standing at a podium like this in a big cathedral, and he's preaching. And what he's reading is Isaiah where it says that the nations are a drop in the bucket. And at the same time, a split screen is showing the race being ran, being run. It goes back to that showing it run. They're running the race without him. And the next day, he's allowed to run in the 400-meter relay, and he wins the gold medal. And that's kind of the movie. And there's some tension between him and Abram and some other, there was a Jew, and some other things that go on in the movie. But basically, that's it. But the movie stops there. The Flying Scotsman book carries you on. And a year later, he's, he's a missionary in China. 
And uh, he gives like 20-something years of his life serving as a missionary in China, uh, serving, planting churches, evangelizing, medical, all kind of things he does. And when the war breaks out in World War II, Eric doesn't leave. He refuses to leave China. And in 1945, the last scene of his life, he's in a Japanese prison camp in China. And a nurse comes up to him and is going to help him. He's got a brain aneurysm. He's dying. And she said in the book, in The Flying Scotsman, she said he could barely get the words out. She had to get her ear right beside it. It was like just in the breath of his voice. And he said, it's surrender. Complete and full surrender. So you want contentment? Eric learned the secret. <laughs> he knew the secret. Live Christ, be surrendered. It's either surrender or rebellion. We got the choice. And he has so much good for us. <laughs> so much good he wants to give to us as his, as his children. If we'll just surrender. Don't be like me. Don't be hard-headed and stubborn. <laughs> and fight him for a week. Just give it up. Let it go. He's in control. Any problem you got, any external force on you, he's got it handled. If you just surrender and trust him. And Eric Little, I mean, here's this guy, Olympiad, you know, uh, uh, all the best schools uh, throughout Scotland and England, had money, had, had fame, gave it all up to the missionary. And in the end of his life, the last words he speaks are, it's surrender. <laughs> so that's the challenge this morning. I hope it's helped you in your life in some way. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word and the promises of it. Lord, you tell us that heaven and earth is going to pass away, but your word will live and abide forever. And your word tells us, Lord, in Timothy, that, that godliness with contentment is great gain. It's a precious prize to be won. And God, I just pray as believers that we would seek that contentment in our own life by surrendering humbly before you and acknowledging you as Lord and God and sovereign of all. And we just tell you this morning, we love you. We want to please you. We want to serve you more. I pray, God, this week that everything we do would be in you and through you and by you and for you and committed to you and reaching others for you. God, give us a heart like that. Thank you for this morning. We bless you in your goodness and kindness. And we say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And God, your greatness is unsearchable. Lord, your ways are so far above our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than our ways and your thoughts higher than ours. And we just surrender it to you, our lives. And we thank you now for this morning, this day in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.